Well, we are in chapter 25, and I do want to give attention to the reading of the passage. I believe it is brief enough today that we can read all of the verses, and then we'll come back and deal with them as we have opportunity this morning. So I'm going to begin reading at verse number 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paden Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat uh, some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So let me just mention also very quickly, I forgot to say this before, there are handouts there on that lectern just inside the door. If you missed that, you can either get it now, it won't bother me if you do that, or afterwards that is fine too. If for whatever reason we don't have enough, it's always a guessing game on the first Sunday, and maybe a guessing game on next Sunday too. But uh, if uh, they run out, just uh, let uh, Leanne Emery know and maybe hand her a note or send her an email, and I'm sure she could get you a copy of that without any difficulty. All right, today we have our work cut out for us. When have you not heard me say that? <laughs> but this type of a lesson is particularly difficult. I'm not trying to make excuses for myself. I'm only saying if we get to a place where we kind of have to rush at the end, you'll understand, or if... I have to stop before I've gotten a chance to talk about everything I would want to, please understand. The reason for this is because you start off in your first lesson like this and you're really kind of trying to accomplish two things. One, you're trying to kind of give an introduction to the series, but the other, you're trying to give your first lesson. And some of the things by way of introduction are really worth spending time with. In fact, as I was looking this over again this morning, yesterday, and this week I was thinking to myself, you know, you could just about spend the whole time on what I have here for the introduction, and we just simply can't do that. As it is, I'll just tell you this, and I may say it again, it's going to be difficult to complete this series. We will complete it one way or another, but there's a certain parallelism between what I'm doing this morning 
although this is not forced, and I hope to show you this. Um, in entitling this lesson, The Early Years, what we're going to do when we get into the latter chapters of Genesis, we simply don't have time to do what I would really like to do with some of those stories that include Jacob, or it is the ending of his life, and I'm going to summarize them and most likely call that lesson that I do there the last years. So there will be sort of a parallelism in that, but just so you know, and more time could be spent on probably anything and everything that we do, but you're familiar with that problem. Let's kind of zoom out on this whole thing. Look at the book of Genesis. Years ago when I preached through Genesis for the first time, this particular series that I did was entitled Genesis, The Early Years. And this, that particular series was different from one on chapter, or on Genesis chapter, chapters 1 through 11. That series really focused in on chapters 12 through 50. Why is that important? Well, because when you come to chapter 12, we meet Abraham. And of course, God has beforehand given this promise in Genesis 3.15 about the gospel. And he's promised relief in the person of the woman's seed. Remember all this? And when we get to chapter 12, we begin to see some of the things that God is doing to bring this to pass because we meet the family, if we could call it that, the people through whom God is going to bring that seed. And Abraham is the recipient, remember, of what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And God says to him, and you all, the families of the earth, shall be blessed. you remember this? And ultimately that's fulfilled in his seed because ultimately in his seed, and Paul makes a big point of this, it's singular in the book of Galatians, because ultimately the fulfillment of that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So it behooves us to kind of look at this for a moment, although again our problem is we can't talk about it much. I can only make a statement. But I like to summarize the patriarchs this way. If we consider Abraham the seminal patriarch, in other words, it all starts with him, and he's the father of the Jews as we think of it today. So we think about Abraham as the seminal patriarch. Now, Isaac, I call the unremarkable patriarch. Why? I don't mean to be uncomplimentary. It certainly isn't anything to do with the fact that he's inconsequential. But you know what? We only have one full chapter, chapter 26, in the book of Genesis that's devoted to his life story. And there's a lot you can learn from Isaac. I took the time to do several messages on him when I was working through this material. But we just aren't given much material. And once again, we're brought back to the realization that God tells us what he thinks we need to do. And in some cases, the writer being led by the Holy Spirit is emphasizing some things and not emphasizing other things. You see that over and over again in Genesis. So for whatever reason known to God and his wisdom, we just don't have a lot that you can remark on, hence the characterization unremarkable. But boy, when you come to Jacob, I don't have any apology with calling him the quintessential patriarch. Now in the course description, I, I referred to him as the most storied. But I want to use a word here that I think is maybe even a little stronger. Both descriptions are true, but there are four reasons why I would call him the quintessential patriarch. Number one that you see right there on the screen is his story starts in chapter 25 where we are, even though we're not done with Isaac yet. In fact, when that opening verse comes that we read a moment ago, these are the generations of Isaac, that's the writer's way of describing how he's going to introduce the next character that he's going to talk about. 
but yet he doesn't say very much about Isaac. He gives us a few glimpses. What we see here in chapter 25, back in chapter 24, we got some glimpse when um, Abraham sent his steward over to find a wife for Isaac. He's 40 when that happens. He's got me outstripped. But he lived to be 180, and I don't have much assumption of doing that. In any case, uh, we have so some in chapter 24, some in chapter 25, all of chapter 26. And by then, it's sort of, we've got the tailwinds. All, that's all, really all we have. But Jacob now, it actually starts here. And it starts here and basically spans the rest of the book. And some of you who are here for the story or for the series on the uh, life of Joseph, you're wondering, well, what about Joseph? Yeah, I mean, Joseph is really important, and we took a lot of time for that, and we had a, uh, hopefully a good time together looking at that. But, you know, in a sense, Joseph is a subset of Jacob. And you probably will remember this if you were in the class, that when we got to some of those chapters, I completely, uh, for the most part, de-emphasized Jacob, but he's there. And the whole end of the book really has to do with Jacob. So think about that. In terms of coverage, it's even way more than Abraham way more than Abraham. And we're going to see another interesting uh, fact on that in just a few moments. Hey, here's something else. This is it, actually. Twice in the Bible, God is called the God of Abraham. In other words, that's a standalone title, the God of Abraham. You do have some times, I didn't include it for space's sake, but you do have some times where God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? But interestingly, Two times the God of Abraham, 12 times God is referred to as the God of Jacob. That's really interesting. Ten of those are in the Psalms. In fact, last week in Pastor Cameron's message, as he was dealing with Psalm 46, we saw those. There they are. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob. Do you see how that's happening? The God of Jacob is our refuge or our fortress. There's another one I gave you there, Psalm 146.5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Well, since we have more material, in a practical sense, it's not surprising that he would be referred to as the God of Jacob because you have all these stories and God wants us to know, not that he wasn't the God of Abraham, but you know, the same God that was with Jacob and all those scrapes he's going to, we're going to see he got himself into, is the same God who will be with us. And the same lessons that God is teaching Jacob, he's teaching us. Here's the third thing. From him, that is from Jacob, come, this is kind of the way you refer to, the, to Israel because there are 12 tribes, but they come from Jacob, right? I mean, in a sense, Abraham only had one son that mattered insofar as the, the, the family for whom God was sending the blessing is concerned. There was Ishmael, and there were other sons later born to that concubine that he had, Keturah, but... So, you know, God was not slack in fulfilling his promise about making of him a, a multitude. But Isaac is the one that counted. And when you get to Isaac, he's got two sons that we know of, Jacob and Esau. Esau disqualifies himself. You end up with Jacob, but Jacob gives rise to the 12 patriarchs. And the 12 patriarchs are how we know the 12 tribes of Israel. Stephen, in his message in chapter 7, talks about this. Twice he makes the same statement that I just did. He gave him, that is Abraham, the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Jacob and Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. You can't make that statement about any other one of them. 
and the other verse says the same thing. And lastly, here's your fourth thought in the zoom out. From him, that is Jacob, the name of the nation derives, but it's important to understand it's not the name his parents gave him. Although that's often used. His, par- his parents gave him the name of Jacob. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. God changed his name eventually when it was appropriate to do so to Israel, which means prince with God. And the nation is known as the nation of Israel. So there's your, a verse that will... So, but now thus says the Lord, Isaiah 43.1, He who created you, O Jacob, who, he who formed you, O Israel. Notice the parallelism. O Jacob, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. All right, that's all we can do with this. Second thought in our introduction. I'm using the word quest here. In his quest for blessing, and in the course introduction, I use the word struggle. Quest is a bit more tame. Struggle is a bit more applicable or to the point, insofar as Jacob. His whole life is struggle after struggle after struggle in pursuit of this blessing. That's how we're going to be looking at this. But when you look at the progression, because I'm asking me and I'm asking you as I look at this, all this does, insofar as I can see, is mirrors what our life is. I mean, I think most people here this morning, I mean, you make a profession, whether you do so verbally or not, you make a profession by your mere presence, particularly at a Sunday school class, that you want God's blessing. But how do we go about obtaining God's blessing? And so we see this progression. It begins with self-reliance. Chapter 25, verse 31. Look at that verse. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. We'll talk about this more, but my question is, he couldn't trust God for that? God already said that it was going to be his. But no, he couldn't, and he was a self-reliant individual through much of his life. So God is dealing with him. This progresses to the time we get to, this is more than 20 years later, but this progresses until we get to chapter 32, verse 31. That's very familiar to everybody because that's where you have Jacob wrestling with God. And Jacob comes away from that experience a marked man. The Bible tells us this in chapter 32, verse 31. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. The more accurate thing to say physically would be to say he was limping. The spiritual application would be to say he was broken. And I submit to you, God's doing the same thing in our lives, repeatedly in many cases. Weaning us away from self-reliance bringing us to the place of surrender and dependence on himself. Finally, culminating in reflection, this is one of the standout verses. We're going to get to this at the end, not have much time for it. But this verse here, we read it when we were looking at Joseph. When Joseph brings Jacob in to have an audience with Pharaoh, it's like, you know, Jacob is not all that impressed. I mean, he's impressed, but... You know, when you get to be 130 years old, you've seen most of it. And, you know, the fact that he's in the audience or presence of Pharaoh, okay, God allowed this to happen, but it's not like, you know, when you were younger, you know, a ton of people went over to Pickens yesterday. 
didn't they? And my wife a couple weeks ago asked me about that, and I said, honey, when I was younger, maybe. I can't handle that now. I mean, I, I can't be out there in that heat and stand up all that length of time, or even for that matter, sit in the chair. But we get excited about those things. And she, she reminded me of the time that we went and saw George Bush, uh, the first one, 41, I guess, and, and other things. And one time when we were on vacation, we were actually in Kennebunkport. And we didn't know, I mean, we didn't plan it that way, but he was there. So we drove down the road where you turn in to get to where his thing is out there on that glorified peninsula. It's not really a peninsula, but it's out there. And we encountered the Secret Service. And they stopped us, and I said, Can, are we allowed to pass? He said, yeah, you are. He said, you just don't stop. Just keep driving. I said, yes, sir. Well, that was exciting. That was big stuff back in those days, you know. And we looked at that and looked at that place out there. And you know how my mind works. I'm thinking, it doesn't seem like it'd be all that hard to sneak in with a submarine or sneak in with some submersible and shoot off something and do him in. But anyway, so it was. That was exciting. Jacob isn't so much. He says this to Pharaoh. He blesses Pharaoh, but he says in verse 47, verse 9, And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. What's he really saying? He's saying, you know, I'm looking back on all these struggles, on all these times of all these scrapes and all the lessons that God taught me and I think I got a little of it it's been a it's been a run it's been difficult it's been a struggle that's what he's saying last thing and we'll get into the lesson for today the writer begins with the early years now there's a very intentional thing going on in what we read you don't have one story and it summarizes all of these early years. And the writer is intentionally doing that because we're not going to see a thing in this that doesn't set the stage. We're not going to see a thing that in the beginning is not in germ form and is developed throughout the rest of not only his life, but the life of his brother. Sets the stage for all that follows. And not only that, but in this we have a story that's intentionally chosen out of that time. So this, this is covering the years uh, from birth all the way to early manhood. And we have one story given to us out of this. And that you notice how the writer introduces this, and I think the ESV does a, a, a really good job of bringing this out. We're reading along here in verse 28, Isaac loved Esau. We're just kind of getting a summary of things. And then, boom, you have a new paragraph, and the writer says, once... So a selected story, but really carefully selected to bring out a point, all right, which is going to color everything that follows. So four things we're going to talk about with what time we have left. And it'll be a struggle, especially when you can't spell struggle. <laughs> is it that way on your paper, too? I guess right on my paper. Is it right on your paper? Must have not caught it here. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. You know, we're all just human. But I hate that. It just rubs me wrong. But anyway, so it's a struggle. You, you got the word now? I mean, you know, it, everything is spelled different nowadays anyway, and that's kind of, you know, 
avant-garde, so maybe I'll just tell you that's the new way. But here's the point. What begins in the womb will characterize his entire life. I, I don't need to take a ton of time with this because I've sort of already talked about this, but what does go on in the womb? I'm going to be careful about what I say here because I, I, I've never had this experience. Um, I'm not a, a woman, but and I don't identify as one either. Just, just wanted to <laughs> clarify that point. Verse 22. The children, it says, struggled together within her. Now, Pastor Cameron was talking about this a little bit on Wednesday night. So she's barren and has gone for 20 years. And Jacob does, or Isaac does the right thing. I mean, they shine here. This is the one place the two of them shine. They both pray about the problem. He prays about it and she becomes pregnant. And so kind of what she gets out of this is, is no, it, it, it's not a problem. The Lord's judgment or chastening is not on me. And I, you know, I'm not, it's not, this is not a thing of reproach. God is going to bless me. But then all of a sudden she has this commotion going on inside of her. And she's thinking to herself, well, if God is blessing me, what on earth is going on? And the Lord answers, well, she prays about it. And the Lord answers her in verse 22. Now notice what it says, the children struggled together. This verb translated struggle is an extraordinarily, uh, what term do I want to use? This is a blunt, kind of a harsh term. You could translate this crushed one another. It, the verb means to crush. So it's a strong word. Obviously they didn't do that. Later on they might have wanted to. But they didn't do that here, so that's not what it means. And it's actually in a form, it's a reflexive form uh, in, in the original language that, that is well brought out by this idea of struggled together. Notice the word together. There's, a, there's a, something going on, and yeah, it may be crowded in her womb, but that's, that's not so much the point. The point is, and she's obviously quite aware of this, there's movement, there's stuff going on in there that doesn't seem normal to her. And when she prays about it, then God explains it to her a little bit later, and we'll see some of this. But the point is, we hardly meet him. I mean, he hasn't even been born yet, then there's a struggle going on. That's my point. And if you look a little further here, you're going to see struggles, like I've told you, characterize his entire life. They follow him everywhere he goes. And so if you think that you get trials and stuff, you'll, you should be encouraged by uh, the, the life of Jacob. He has struggles with Esau. Don't have time to talk about it now. He has struggles with Laban. Laban is shrewd. He out-Jacob's Jacob. And they have 20 years worth of fun times. And ultimately, and this is what we saw back before, his ultimate struggle is with God, and it has been the whole time in reality. But this is where the writer really brings this out. So the successive struggles that characterize his entire life, at least though, He's not fighting so much against God, at least not, not that he realizes, not that he's intentionally doing. To the extent that we're relying on ourselves and not on God, yes, we're struggling against God. But not, Jacob is not doing it in an intentional sense, in the fact that he's got animosity or something of this nature towards God. No, he, he wants God's blessing. He's going about it 
in a crazy way, and God's going to show him that. So this is filled with so much meaning, as I've said to you before. Everything here is intentional. That this early scene becomes legendary, and the prophet Hosea mentions it, so we'll, we'll find a couple of these places where the Bible picks these key events that we're talking about and, and, and singles them out in, elsewhere in the Bible. So we know what was chosen to tell us in Genesis 25 where we are. These things were exceedingly important. Hosea says this, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. So there's kind of the whole thing from the beginning to chapter 32. He wept and sought his favor. And that part of verse 4, he met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us through him, through his life. So this is legendary. I mean, this wasn't some backwater thing that happened. This is really meant to get our attention. Lastly, and this is where I just want to leave you with some thoughts. To me, to us, it seems like the struggle from Jacob to Israel. So chapter 25 and all along, he's Jacob. We'll talk about that name in a moment. Only when you get to chapter 32 does God change his name to Israel. From a self-reliant man to a man who is dependent upon God and realizes that this blessing that he is so hard in pursuit of, it can be his, but he better acknowledge that it comes from God and by God and in God's way. He's not going to earn it. Boy, but that struggle. Oh, I know everybody here this morning never relies upon themselves. Always proceeds in faith. Right? Not so much. Because a struggle every morning, isn't it? To some extent, depending on what you meet in the day. There's a prophecy here. So this is God explaining what's going on in the womb. And he says to her now, verse 23, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. So the word divided there is an important word too. Again, there's an overtone of this in the original language, and it's, it's pretty well brought out by divided because, okay, what do you have? Well, I guess you don't have it now, but you still have this in the Koreas, right? You have North and South Korea, and they're what? They're divided. Used to be we had North and South Vietnam. So they're divided. Why are they divided? Well, they're divided because they're incompatible. And that's what this means. That's precisely the intention of this word. And that's the reason they were struggling, because it was a portend. It, it, it meant to portray what was going to be true in life, that from the very beginning, it's like they were having a fist fight in her womb. And he goes on to say, the one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. What's the message for this in Jacob? Well, for Jacob, well, the message is, you know what? For all your struggles, I'm the author of blessing. You'll have this blessing, but you'll have it by my grace. And you'll have it because I chose you, not because you're smart, not because you have a degree, not because you know how to work the plan. This is what God is, is saying to us here And so this is another one of those places that the Bible singles out. Paul does and explains that God's blessing. So why do you have God's blessing here today? To the extent that you're saved, to the extent that you got up this morning and had 
a desire, a God-led desire to be in church, to the extent that your children know the Lord, all these things, good things that have come upon you, did it come because you were smart enough to choose God? You know, in the beginning, we learned those little songs, and there's some truth to them. I'm not debunking them. Please don't read that into what I'm saying. But once in a while, we still sing this. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, it's true, but did I do that because I was smart? That I took a hard look at the thing and said, you know, this thing of going to hell is not a good idea. Well, yeah, I thought that. But the longer you live in grace, the more you realize, you know, God made the first move. And had not God made the first move, I would still be out there, somewhere lost and undone. But God did. And God did more, but that's what we're talking about now. So here's Paul. He singles this out. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived, so here's where we are, children by one man, our, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad. So if you're wondering, well, election is just because God look, looks forward and sees that I would have chosen him anyway, which is really tantamount to saying that I'm smarter than the rest of them. That didn't work that way, folks. In order that God's purpose according to election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. And how do you do with works? And how do you do with God looking down there and seeing that you're smarter? Or that God would get a good deal if he got you? It has to do with his grace. And the only reason that you have it and I have it is because God saw fit to give it to us, and that ought to be enough to make us even in Sunday school stand up and shout. But she was told when she prayed, here's the answer to your, your query. The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So the idea there is he rejected him. And then the summary of this comes in verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. We're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what he says in John 1, 12 and 13. Look at it. Not of human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Oh, if I don't have anything else to be thankful for, that thankful for God's mercy and grace. There's a name. Names, as you know, in Scripture are often filled with meaning. So Abram was Abram until he was Abraham, right? God gave him that name. He even gave Isaac his name to commemorate the fact that both of them laugh, because that's what Isaac means. He laughs. And the names are important here, too. So in verse 25, have a look. And it says here, the first came out, this is where I have to be really careful. I can talk about this for an hour. The first came out, I know I won't do that to you. First came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. It, it refers to him being hairy. And, you know, others would be more qualified. Somebody in OBGYN or somebody like that might be more. I don't think I've ever seen this. And I've, I mean, I haven't seen that many babies, but I've been to the hospital and seen a few. And I don't know that I've ever seen one like's quite described here. I mean, so much so that almost like he was a furry little creature from the beginning. I'm serious. What it's saying to us here in the red or ruddy, ruddy the word is translated ruddy when it refers to David, and David was handsome, so 
I kind of get the impression that it's his complexion, his color, but he's a very healthy, strong baby and is going to be the same way in life. He's a, he's a man's man. That's just all you can get out of this. But Edom also refers to the eventual place of his dwelling. I think you know that. Let's move on from that. Jacob, though capable of a positive sense, it is. I mean, we're, we're, we're very much um, of the habit of interpreting in the negative sense, and, and rightly so, because that's how the scripture really handles it. But it is capable of a positive sense. But see, he got the name because Esau got the name. His, when he, he was born, his parents said, oh, my soul, he's hairy. So they named him Harry. Not Harry, Harry. Harry would have been better. But when Jacob came out, they noticed something very distinctive about him too. It's like he's got his hand on his brother's heel. It's like, whoa, come back in here. I should be first. That's kind of how he goes about life too. And so you can have the positive sense of may God be at the heels. That's a helpful sense, kind of like somebody coming up behind you and putting their hand on your shoulder to comfort you. But it also lends itself to a very negative sense, that is, of grasping, of reaching, of overreaching, of supplanting. So it means supplanter, or you wouldn't be wrong. In fact, in my uh, version here, or my edition of the ESV, it actually gives the footnote cheater. It calls him cheater. Not too far off. And so... That idea is really forever enshrined because of what he does. Two times, and finally on the second time, his brother says, we'll be at this next week, Lord willing, his brother says, or his father says first, this is verse 35 of chapter 27, your brother came deceitfully, cheater, and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, the heel snatcher? He was doing that from the day he was born. For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, he has taken away my blessing. So, again, everything is point on here. Everything is meant to tell us what's going, what it's going. But from this time forward, that meaning of Jacob is going to be pretty much etched in stone. Here's the last thing. A description. Now, Chapter 27, verse 11, we know they were different in appearance. In fact, we've already seen it. One was hairy. Chapter 27, verse 11, that's what Jacob says to his mother. You want me to go in there and act like I'm Esau? I can't do that. He's, the guy's hairy. And it says here, I'm a smooth man. Well, he was smooth in a lot of ways. So, here's the thing. They were different in appearance. Different is the key word. They were just different. And you kind of notice that about your children, but maybe not quite so staggeringly so. They're all different, right? But these guys are really different. And so they're different in appearance. They're different in pursuits. Where do I get that from? Well, it says here, Jake, uh, Esau was a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So one of them is an outdoorsman, kind of like the Marlboro man, you know? Sorry for the, but most people in here are old enough to know what that means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 
anyway, he, he's an outdoorsman. I mean, he's the cowboy. He's the consummate. And the best you can really say, it's not necessarily, I don't want you to get the impression Jacob is not effeminate. He's just a domestic. His interests are different. And he likes being around the tents, and he likes to cook, although Esau knew how to cook. That much is obvious, because his father was slain by that venison dish that he did. So, you know, it, look, think about it this way. This is to really take a little bit of liberty and put it in modern terms, but if, if you went to where they lived, their tents, Jacob would be more apt to ride up on a golf court, golf cart. Esau would pull up on a Harley. That's kind of the difference that you have here with these two. They're different in parental affection. Unfortunately, that's another tone setter. It's true from the very beginning. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. What a reason. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And character is the most important thing. We've got just a couple of minutes. That's probably what we need to deal with this little story, this vignette that's given to us to illustrate this difference in character from the get-go. This, too, will be memorialized elsewhere in the Bible, not only in Hosea 12.3, but in the book of Hebrews. We'll get to that in just a moment. But this is what happens. He comes in from hunting. He's exhausted, so he says. But he's not, it's an exaggeration, really. But he's hungry, and you know when you're hungry and thirsty, you do sometimes do things impulsively, but there's more going on here. So he says to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. Now here's the point that I want to make. Jacob's ready. This idea that he comes up with here, if you're not careful, you read this and think, wow, how did he come up with that off the top of his head? I don't think he did. I think he'd been looking at this thing and trying to figure out, he knew of his father's predilection for Esau. And he's, he's scheming. He's trying to figure, how am I going to get my hands on that blessing? Well, God already told you that, buddy. But this is Jacob, and so often this is us. And he, I mean, the moment he sees this opportunity, he sees his brother in a moment of weakness. He knows that he's sort of that way anyway. And you notice the urgency. He's going to take advantage. He's going to capture the moment of weakness right when it's at its height. Some of your birthright, look at the next word, now. There's an urgency to this. The King James translates it, sell me this day thy birthright. Both of them do a good job of bringing this point out. Sell it to me now. And Esau betrays his own character by saying, well, what good is the thing anyway? He, just, he was just disinclined spiritually. You know, for all that you say about Jacob, he, Jacob at least had an interest in spiritual things. He went about it in a very bad way. And we can talk about when he was converted, but that's not so much the thought right now. The thought is he does have an interest. He does recognize the value of spiritual things, Esau not at all, really, and that's the big difference in their character. But the moment this proposition is made, then notice he doubles down on this. Swear to me now. I got dinner ready. It's, it's lentil stew, man. It's good stuff. You smell that? Whew, that's good. You know, isn't it weird how you can 
It seemed like you can walk out of a restaurant, get in the car, go to another place and smell another restaurant and say, it smells good. Isn't that weird? Anyway, this is what it is. He smells all this. And he says, now. And he does, and he says, well, what good is it to me anyway? And the deal is done. And then it concludes by saying, thus Esau despised. That is, he, he, in his mind, he just was pushed further down the road of devaluing, de-emphasizing the value of spiritual things. And the writer to the Hebrews picks this up. I, we already saw it in Hosea 12.3. But this becomes legendary, so much so that when you see what the writer of the Hebrews says, and I, we had the Hosea one before, I repeated it here for you, but let's take time to read the other. This is the writer to the Hebrews. Pulls this exact incident out. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral. That's a detail we get here. Or unholy. The King James translates that profane. He just didn't have a regard for spiritual things. Like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward when he desired, in other words, he finally figured out, I bombed out. There's, there's some reason to be interested in this. Too little, too late. We'll see this next week. When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. That was his father finally coming around. For he found no chance to repent. Isaac wouldn't change his mind. Isaac knew it was done. Though he sought it with tears. So begins the story of Jacob, a lifelong struggle, a lifelong quest for blessing. I'm in that same quest, are you? I mean, I want what God has for me, but you don't get it apart from going about it God's way. We're going to really hone in on this next week. So his entire life is filled up with lessons on learning how it is to have God's blessing. That's where I see the practical value, so we'll talk a lot about that. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness in allowing us to have this time today. What has been from you and helpful, seal that to our hearts. Anything that was not, let that, like the chaff, be blown away. Bless as we move to the next service. In Jesus' holy name, amen.